We want the glorious, miraculous stories of Daniel and his lion's den, and of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who came unbound out of the fiery furnace. But are we willing to endure the lion's den and the fiery furnace for the gift that you can find within them? Dana Gresh takes us into both the book of Habakkuk, where the prophet writes about the events to come, and to Daniel, where the words Habakkuk wrote prove to be true. And she invites us to be double amazed. As I've been studying Habakkuk these past many weeks, I came to think about the fact that we tend to believe a lie that good times are supposed to be the norm. And when we hit those evil times, those hard times, we add to that lie by believing this is going to pass soon. God's going to bring the good times back. That's what he wants for me. Things are going to go back to normal. Well, how do you know? How do you know it's going to get better? Because we don't find that promise in Scripture. We find a very different promise in Scripture. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. You okay with that? I don't know if I'm okay with that sometimes. And, I mean, we've said it before. We're taping in the year 2020 when it seems like the world is definitely not what we knew to be our normal. And as I talk to people, we kind of think this is as bad as it's going to ever get and as bad as it's ever been. But there have been times of evil and corruption and pain and disagreement and plague forever. Ever since the Garden of Eden, we have been struggling under a world in which we will have trouble. During the time that I was studying Habakkuk, I watched a documentary with my husband. He loves them. And we watched one called The Dust Bowl by Ken Burns. Now, I had never heard of the Dust Bowl. Maybe you have, but it was a time in our nation where the dust storms across the plains were so severe that it resulted in a terrible famine. But it was more than just the famine and the fact that the cupboards were empty, which was very frightening for families. It was the dust. It was such, well, a plague. I think sometimes we might think, well, there were little dust storms, right? But these were enormous storms of really biblical proportion. One of them measured a mile tall and a thousand miles wide. And often the air would carry those dust storms from the middle of the United States all the way to one time the Statue of Liberty was covered in darkness. And one time beyond that, there was a ship, a U.S. Navy ship, many hundreds of miles off the coast of New York City in the Atlantic Ocean, and it was covered in dust. These dust storms would come down, and the dust would be so severe that it would sneak in through all the crevices and cracks of every household. Children would wake up covered in a blanket of dust, much to the chagrin of their parents. The house, full of dust, every crevice. Women would have to clean out their cupboards and dust off all of the dishes and all of the cups. And so these families were hungry, but they were also tired and worn out, not knowing when their days were going to be disrupted by these terrible dust storms. And they started to wear down, as we do, especially as we do when we don't have the Lord to rely on through those times. And in this documentary, people would just tell the stories. One woman told the story of her mom, and she described a very happy woman who before the Dust Bowl was just joyful and a leader in her community, but she just couldn't stand 
that every day she would wake up and her clean curtains, which she had beaten off the day before and sometimes laundered the day before, were once again black with soot. Her mom eventually committed suicide. And her daughter said, I think she couldn't stand the stress and the crazy-making of washing those curtains one more time. Another woman in her 80s described how there was one moment of joy in all of that terror, the day that a baby calf was born to their one and only cow on their farm. And in all of the devastation, there was this moment of life to bring happiness, a brief moment of it, because that night, she watched her father leave the house with a club. And she knew what was happening. And she cried out to her mom, don't let him do it, don't let him do it. And she looked at her and she said, your father and I had to decide who would have milk tomorrow, you or that cow. Now, we don't hear those stories. I've never heard about the Dust Bowl because it kind of falls under a time in history that there was a lot of evil. Starting in about 1914, World War I would have been a recent memory during the Dust Bowl. The Great Depression, a global economic crash, would have been still very much at its height when the Dust Bowl happened. There is a global polio pandemic. Children, especially, were prone to the disease, and it almost always left its victims paralyzed. And then entered World War II and the Holocaust. This wasn't just a few years of hard and trouble. This was decades from 1914 to 1954, decades of evil, decades of hardship. And at the end of those years, a pastor in London named Martin Lloyd-Jones pulled out the book of Habakkuk. And he said, we need this book always, but we need it especially right now. And in his book, he posits the thought that if they had already studied the book of Habakkuk, they would have known how to live through those evil times. And he encouraged them and us not to forget the powerful words in Habakkuk so that the next time evil times arrive, the church would be ready. Because if Habakkuk is a baton of faith that we are passing on, and I've referenced this a few times in our teaching sessions, and you've studied it a little bit in the Bible study, it's practice for the end times. That baton of faith needs to be carried through to the very last day when Jesus comes once again, and he does make all things right. And I want to unpack that a little bit today. But first, let's start in chapter 3, the last chapter of Habakkuk, where we're seeing that there is a great difference in our friend and prophet. He doesn't look like he did. He's not wrestling anymore. My friend Nancy damas Walgamuth observed in her study of Habakkuk, as we read Habakkuk's prayer, we see that Habakkuk is a changed man. He's a different man than the man we met in chapter 1. Now there are no more questions, no more accusations, no more anger, no more doubt. Now there's just submission and reverence and, get this, praise. All those things are an expression of faith because Habakkuk has learned that the righteous shall live even in an ungodly world. How? By his faith. Faith leads us to submit to God. Faith leads us to have reverence for God. Faith leads us to trust God. Faith leads us to praise God. 
Let's look at Habakkuk 3, verse 1. It says, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigianoth. Now, that's not a word you say every day, is it? <laughs> what is a Shigianoth? If you don't know what that is, you won't really know the fact that this isn't just a prayer, but it's a song. And it was a specific type of song. I actually began to study it, and there's not a lot known about it, so there's pieces here and there, but I can tell by looking at these words, the lyrics to the song, as well as some little pieces of information we know, that Habakkuk hasn't started to fake it. And you know what? I have seen that. I have seen Christians fake it. I have seen Christians, instead of saying, I'm grieved, I'm hurting, this is hard, they act like it doesn't hurt. And I don't think that serves us well. I think the beauty of Habakkuk is that even as he moves into a place of praise, he remains honest. And the lyrics tell us in Habakkuk 3, 17 and 19, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. That doesn't sound like happy lyrics, does it? The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. He's still being honest. This, these, these lyrics, that sounds like a hard day on a hobby farm, right? But no, that's not what it was at all. This would have been the economic portfolio of the nation of Judah completely collapsing, completely falling away. This would have been the Great Depression. This would have been World War II. That's where they were. And so the lyrics tell me that Habakkuk hasn't forgotten that things are hard and they're going to get worse, but he's chosen to sing and to praise God anyway. And the other thing I learned is that a shigianoth tends to be a song that starts slow like a dirge. It is full of sadness but then it changes pace. The pace change was one of the marks of a Shigianoth, and that pace would become more hopeful, perhaps even more joyful. And as I studied that, I thought, that sounds crazy. Like, who writes a song like that? But I searched and searched. I wanted to find one that would have maybe been more modern and reflected what perhaps the song that Habakkuk was teaching his people to sing what it sounded like. And I found one. Coming for to carry me 
So that is a shigiana. It starts slow with the sadness and the struggle of the time and the story. And then it moves into joy, into hope. And we find a lot of them in the black spiritual songs that were written during the time of slavery in our own country. Woe to us. But those men and women who were enslaved, that believed in the Lord, they were looking past their circumstances. What was she singing about? That was Etta James singing a song written by, it's contested who the author is, but they're expressing the angst. They're expressing the pain, and yet they're looking at a future hope. What was that future hope? A chariot, a chariot to heaven. They said, whatever happens here on this earth, whatever hardships we endure, we do have heaven to look forward to. We do have the second coming of Jesus to look forward to. We do have an ultimate hope that trumps everything else on the earth. And what we're learning from Habakkuk is this, that the righteous person who lives by faith in those times of trouble, in those times of pain, they dig down deep to figure out what really matters. And when you do, you find you still have something to sing about when you have Jesus. And Habakkuk does that. He models that. I'd like to actually pop over to the book of Daniel, where the things Habakkuk is seeing will come to happen have come to pass. And I want to look at a very familiar Bible story. You've heard it since you were a small girl. It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and their fiery furnace. You'll recall with me that Nebuchadnezzar, that proud king, has built a golden statue, and he wants to be worshipped. He wants all of the people, including Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who have another god to worship, our one true god, to bow down and worship that idol. And they don't. And so we find that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are facing death, and a horrific evil death at that. And uh, what do they say when the king gives them one last chance to recant their faith in the God of Israel, the God of Judah, and to worship him? Well, we find it recorded in Daniel 3, verses 16 to 18. It says that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you on this matter. If this be so, our God who we serve is able to deliver us out of the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. Now, when I looked at that, I had to ask myself, did those men sing Habakkuk's song? Because if you put those verses from Habakkuk 3, 17 and 19, where Habakkuk says, everything's falling apart, yet I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are looking death in the face, and they're saying, our God will deliver us, but if not, I just wondered, did they sing the song that Habakkuk wrote? And did singing that prepare them for this moment of faithfulness? They both were able to endure through their hardship with joy, with contentment, with peace. And then this is what I find so beautiful, because going back to what Jesus said is, in this world, we will have trouble. 
but we won't have to endure it alone. And that's where we find the joy. We will not have to endure it alone. What does Habakkuk say he's rejoicing in? The God of my salvation. He's rejoicing in God. He's not rejoicing that the war might not happen. He's not rejoicing that the captivity and the exile won't come. He's not rejoicing that the famine is not going to happen. He's rejoicing that God will be with him in that. We don't find joy in things. We find joy in a person. Not our bank account, not the stability of this very broken world, the false stability, not food, none of those things. We find our joy in Jesus. And he is with us in every hardship, in every pain, in every trial, including the fiery furnace that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego found themselves in. Daniel 3, 24 and 25. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He's talking about that moment when he looks into the fiery furnace and he's watching to see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go up in flames. Think about how horrific that is. Why would you watch that? And he declared, Nebuchadnezzar declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound. They had put them in shackles when they went into that furnace. I see four men unbound walking in the midst of fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Does that give you chills? It gives me such comfort to know that whatever fiery furnace that I have to go through in my life Jesus is going to be there with me in it. I can't help but notice these two things. First of all, Jesus is with them. Many scholars believe that that son of the gods, that what King Nebuchadnezzar saw was Jesus in there with them. And the second thing is that their bonds were burned up. We so want to be delivered from our exile and our captivity the easy way. We just want Jesus to like unlock these chains and set us free. But many times, he delivers us through the fire, not from it. And we see that in this passage. With my mind fresh in the pages of Habakkuk, I couldn't help but wonder, is the way I'm singing through my trials and my trouble passing on a baton of faith to my children, to my grandchildren, to my great-grandchildren, to my spiritual children, so that if they're my Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego years down the road, well, they have learned something from my life that prepares them for their fiery trial. And there's such a sweet promise. In fact, I have this in my index cards, and I hope that it's one that my children know to be true of me, that I believe this about the Lord. It's a promise of God I carry closely to my heart. It's in Isaiah 43. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you, because you are precious and honored in my sight. I love you. I have that circled in my Bible. I have hearts all around it like a seventh grade girl. That God took time in the book of Isaiah to write 
the words, I love you. That's why he's with us in the fire, in the flame, in the flood. And it doesn't say that, hey, I'm going to take you around those things. When you pass through them, when you're in them, they won't consume you. I will be with you. How can we live like we're loved in the middle of our storms, in the middle of our fires, in the middle of our floods? I really think it goes back to that whole idea of climbing up into our watchtower and gaining perspective. Because what is happening to us right here and right now, it's such a small little blip in the big scheme of God's plan. I couldn't help but consider, and this is it's not the most important part of Habakkuk. Habakkuk's purpose is to teach us that God is good even in evil times. And it's to teach us to walk by faith. But we also find that Habakkuk walks by that faith because he knows what God has told him is coming in the future, hard as it is, is true. He believes it. And he, he positions his life to be a part of it. He positions his life to be a part of prophecy. Think about that. We have prophecies in the word of God that have not yet come to be, and they are hard. There will be hard days. The Bible tells us that in the last days, it will be terrible, and people will walk from, from the faith, just like Habakkuk. He seemed to be one of the remnants, one of the few that was walking in faith and walking faithfully. There won't be many of us walking faithfully in those last days before Jesus comes. Can we prepare those who will walk faithfully with the baton of truth so that they're able to set the stage for our glorious king's second coming? Now, I don't know that everybody who studied Habakkuk had that stirring in their heart, but I had it time and time again as I looked at these precious words. I want to close the book with a desire to be a woman who passes on this baton of faith. And I want to pass on this final thought of encouragement. As hard as times are now, as hard as times will be then in the end days, we're going to be amazed at how difficult it is. Habakkuk 1.5 tells us that. It says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. In some versions, that word is the word amazed. Wonder and be amazed. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Now, as we look at that and we look back at that, we see that the prophet Habakkuk is going to be amazed. And it's not good news what's going to astound and amaze him. It's going to be that things are going to get worse and that God is going to use a small people group that is evil and manipulative and proud and cruel, and he's going to use them to help his people remember their God. And it's going to get worse. That is certainly not what we think when we read that verse in isolation. We think, watch and be amazed. I'm going to do amazing thing. I'm going to give you a great job. I'm going to make you well-known. I'm going to give you a great name. I'm going to give you a wonderful family. That's not what this verse was saying. It's saying you will not even believe how bad it's going to get. But several commentaries that I read stated that the construction of Habakkuk 1.5 was unusual in that it seemed to say you're going to be double amazed. You're going to be amazed at how bad it is. What is that second amazed that is in the structure of the Hebrew language? 
it would have kind of said, Habakkuk, you're going to be amazed, amazed, or you're going to be very, very amazed, double amazed. You know what I think as I get to the end of the book? It's this. We will be amazed at how hard the trouble in this world is that Jesus has promised will come. But when we're there, if we can walk by faith, we will be amazed at how good God can be in the middle of all of that hardship. And we will find ourselves rejoicing, not being dishonest, still saying, Lord, this is hard, but right here in this difficult place, I rejoice in the God of my salvation. Let us be women who pass that on to the future generations Let's look beyond our own discomfort and our own hurt and our own trials, and let's be a part of God's big picture plan and set the stage along with Habakkuk and others who've walked in faith like him to welcome our precious coming king for his second time on earth when he will wipe away every tear. That is our ultimate hope. I think it's fitting that I would end by reading the very last verse of the book of Habakkuk, where it says in 319, God the Lord is my strength. And this is gonna be familiar to you. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. He's gonna be with you. He's gonna give you the strength to scale the walls that he puts in front of you. This message was taped in the Revive Our Hearts studios. If you enjoyed it and want to dig in deeper, grab a copy of the Bible study entitled Habakkuk, Remembering God's Faithfulness When He Seems Silent by Dana Gresh. This is the sixth and final podcast that supports the study experience leading into a week where you learn how to live like you're loved in the middle of our hardships. Learn more at danagresh.com. This podcast was produced by Pure Freedom Ministries in partnership with Revive Our Hearts and Moody Publishers.